Excellence Expected, the inspirational business advice podcast. Hey, hey, guys, welcome to another episode of Excellence Expected with me from the centre of London, Mr. Mark Asquith. Now, focus. Do you struggle with that? I know I do. I'm kind of the typical entrepreneur. You know, I get the shiny object syndrome. I get so many ideas. It's a classic cliche. You know, having the ideas is not the problem. Executing on them is the issue. And focus, I personally find, can be really, really tough, especially when you have this propensity to want to dive into things, to want to explore things. You know, that natural curiosity that makes us entrepreneurs is sometimes our downfall. And that is the issue that we're going to define, challenge and conquer today, how you can find the one thing to focus on and why actually you should be putting that focus where it is. And joining me today is someone who really, really specializes in this particular area, someone who has made a living from visualizing things that many of us really, really struggle with. And that is something that I think lends itself so, so well to figuring out what is important. Welcome to the show from Lemonly, Mr. John Meyer. How are you doing, sir? I'm great, Mark. How are you today? Completely terrible at pronouncing your name. This is for you guys listening. <laughs> what you'll not appreciate is that that's probably the third time that I've had to say that because I keep saying John Mayer. And we were talking in the pre-interview chatter about <laughs> about you having to compete with a certain yeah. musician yeah. for SEO. What's that all about? I know you. Yeah, I know you type in John Mayer and, and Google will say, hey, did you mean John Mayer? And I say, hey, Google, I know how to spell my name. There's <laughs> a difference between an E and an A. So as I was mentioning to you, Mark, uh, if you use the T, I'm not like super hung up on my, my middle name, but if you use John T. Meyer, you'll find my blog and my Twitter and Facebook. Facebook and, and all those things. So yeah, if you're if you're in the battle of me, if your if your name is John Smith or you know Mark Jackson or something like that, then uh, maybe using one one letter can change your change your outlook. And you've also got that kind of cool James T. Kirk thing going on with that as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's starting it's starting to work. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So what does it you do, sir? Tell us a little bit about you. Tell us a little bit about Lemonly. Give us the uh, give us the download. Yeah, sure. Uh, so about. Four and a half years ago, uh, my co-founder Amy and I started a little company called Lemonly. Um, Lemonly, we kind of call ourselves a, a visual storytelling, visual marketing company. So we help companies and brands tell their story specifically through design and through visuals. So what does that mean? Things like infographics, animated videos. Uh, we do a lot of micro content for social media. Um, so just we believe that you know humans are wired to be kind of visual creatures. And that's the best way to not only remember information, but to um, capture attention. And we're all trying to fight for attention. And, and like you said, focus uh, in today's world. Um, so that's kind of the heart of what Lemonly does. So we do that with a lot of, we don't really have a specific industry. We're kind of all over the map. We work with Marriott and Major League Baseball and Netflix and Lego and the United Nations and Salesforce. So some nonprofits, some, some sports teams, some Fortune 500s. Uh, a little bit of everything. So we're based in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I'm pretty sure probably your first guest ever from South Dakota. Most people I meet say they've never met someone from South Dakota. So we are uh, about 800,000 people strong. And Sioux Falls, the biggest city where we are based is about 160,000. So it's a small, small part of the Midwest. Um, but we're pretty proud to be there, be from there. And I think trying to kind of put it on the map, you know, we do, we do work with 
on the par on par of design shops from New York to San Francisco and Los Angeles, hopefully London, um, but doing it right there in South Dakota. I think you might be right. Actually, the first guest from Sioux Falls. An interesting tidbit. You are. Uh I didn't know this, but you are kind of close to the timeline, aren't you? Close to the the that you got like a time zone split in the uh, in the state there, which completely blew my mind. That's true. Uh, Sioux Falls. If you're on, we have this kind of what we call East River, East River, West River. So the Missouri River goes right through the state of South Dakota, and if you're on the West River, you are in Mountain Time. If you're on East River, you're in Central Time. So. Uh, it's a little confusing, not as confusing as like Arizona, which just doesn't do daylight savings time. So that's that's more confusing. That completely blows my mind. Coming from the UK, where you can drive everywhere, and uh, we, you know that that feels like a real journey to us to traverse the country, and you know going to the states and seeing things like that it just blows my mind. I love stuff like that. So yeah, that oh, was we'll a- jump in the car and drive four or five hours, no problem. That's yeah, not a big deal. God, to us that's like a day. You know, you know that's 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 <laughs> that's just a task. So yeah, it just blows my mind. I love this whole uh, you know finding out things and these little geeky factoids. So yeah, that's that's satiated yeah. that desire for today. So I love that. You bet. <laughs> so tell us about yeah. focus then. Tell us about particularly this, you know, finding the one thing. Is this something you've struggled with? What, what's the background to this topic? Yeah, I think exactly. I think what you described at the beginning, an entrepreneur with shiny object syndrome is, uh, would be, I would describe that as myself as well. Um, someone who started a few companies, I always kind of have a side project on the side or something I'm working on, new ideas, things that distract me. I, I really enjoy the first uh, 20, 25% of a project or a task or a challenge. And then I start to lose interest and, and want to move on to the next thing. So I've spent a lot of time over the, you know, I've done Lemonly for four and a half years and I've been an entrepreneur for almost seven now, I think. And a lot of time writing and reading and just thinking about focus and, and how to get to the heart of really what matters. I think what I've learned is that we can get, we're very um, productive and powerful human beings when we really are focusing if we can get down to one thing and, and do that really well we're kind of selling ourselves short right now in terms of how much how much we get done and and, and how much uh, we produce so yeah i just spent a lot of time there's a lot of great books and reading out there of people who who are good at this topic and and so yeah i, I wanted to share a few of the things that i've learned over the years that what works for me how did you go about recognizing that you enjoy that 25% of an idea and especially the development of that project? How did you, one, I guess, understand it and two, come to terms with the fact that that was just how you are? Because we're sort of educated to not be like that, if that makes sense. Sure. So tell us about that journey and, you know, any catalysts that you found along the way. I remember being at a uh, conference, an entrepreneurial conference. I think it was big Omaha, which is in down in Omaha, Nebraska. And, and the speaker had a slide actually that showed that, um, you know, kind of your, your inspiration or your motivation on ideas is finite. It's actually kind of, there is, it's almost like you have a battery that can, can run out. And he showed kind of this curve, this little curve graph that when you first get an idea and you, you have that first brainstorming session or you get your team together and you're, you're thinking about something, you're, you'll never be as excited or as motivated about that idea as you are right then. And it's slowly this diminishing curve that you kind of get down into the trough, into the really the grind where that's really what makes people successful is getting through that and, and getting out of it. So I think recognizing, I just realized I enjoy that part at the beginning a lot, which in some ways uh, is a is is a blessing, but in other, other ways can be a curse. So I think you have to know who you are, um, put the people or team or systems around you um, to work to, to really maximize what your strength is. And, and then do more of that. So I'm, I'm big on keeping things like simple and then just replicating that. 
so for speed, you can always, you know exactly what to do, um, creating systems and processes. And so, yeah, I think it's, um, I think you, you know, when you, when you have that kind of feeling in your gut, you know, those little butterflies or something that really, it, I kind of say it's the thing that like gets you up in the morning, that gets you out of bed and ready to start the day. And the thing that keeps you up at night, uh, once you've found that, then you're probably on the right track. You're doing the right thing. Yeah. You know, the idea of you'll never be as excited as you are right then in the really, really early stages when you have the idea or, you know, when it drives you for the first few weeks, month or years, you know, depending on the scale of a project, it, mm-hmm. it, it's quite, um, I always find it quite a startling thing when you realize that you're not as interested in that project because yeah. it's been, you know, it's been a part of your life for so long. You've focused on it for such a long time and it kind of creeps up on you that mm, actually maybe there's something else to be excited about now. And it, I don't know about you, but I feel sometimes that you you often don't recognize that you've got to that point. Yes, it can be scary and you feel a little guilty or you maybe feel like you're, you're quitting too early or you're giving up. Um, but I think it's a very real feeling and it's something that as entrepreneurs um, – we, uh, we face often, you know, I think we are, we are wired to be this way and we, uh, we want the challenge. If something gets easy or gets, gets kind of mundane, it's not for us. It's time to move on. Yeah. And that's kind of back to the millennial fulfillment, isn't it? You know, the, the idea that millennials and, you know, we, we just want fulfillment, you know, money, <laughs> money's important and of course it's important. Sure. We all need it and we'd all love to have a little bit more of it. But actually if we're not fulfilled, the money kind of doesn't matter as much. So I think that's a really important point. And when you talk about focus then, I mean, you, you see in books, you've got things like the Gary Keller book, The One Thing. You've got so many other kind of productivity books for our work week and all of mm-hmm. these different pieces of advice. You know, I've even written an ebook on it myself. And sure. how, do you, how do you define what makes focus for you? And what I mean by that is that we can all, one, focus on different things at different times. And we all work in different ways. So some people work well with a 25 minutes uh, sort of Pomodoro technique. And some sure. people just work with, with booking massive slots of time out. How do you find out what works for you when there's all of this advice out there? Well, you got to experiment, I think. you got to try. Uh, you just mentioned a couple good ones, kind of getting things done. You mentioned Pomodoro, four-hour work week. And, then, and I think what, you, what I've found is when you make it your own, then it works. So when you create your own little system or you tinker with someone else's or you kind of evolve an existing uh, technique, um, you have to make it work for you. And you'll know when it does, because when it starts feeling like it's helping you and not, it shouldn't like your system or your productivity platform, whatever you want to call it, if it's feeling like a task or a chore, then it's probably not right. So I think when it feels like it's actually aiding you and becomes a little bit more of a habit and kind of second nature, then you're probably, you've probably found the right way. But I think tweaking and customizing for you um, is important. So if that means a little notebook next to your bed, if that means a sticky note on your on your bathroom when you brush your teeth, if that means a, an app or a website, uh, thinking about how you live your life and how your daily routine can kind of plug in to, an, to a system or create a system, then that's usually this place to start. Yeah, and that you know that idea of experimentation is is really really vital, I think. And how do you? What's the word? The, the way that I want to articulate this? How do you advise people where to start? And what I mean by that is, the thing that I'm trying to get across in my mind is that there are so many books out there. There are so many techniques, yeah. and the, the, I guess what I'm trying to say is that 
it's very easy to go down one path and say, oh, that, that, that kind of doesn't work or just lose faith or just see another, you know, after all, we are we're susceptible to this shiny object syndrome. So mm-hmm. you see the Pomodoro, Pomodoro technique, for example, and then you might see, you know, this whole idea of creating a Boston matrix or like you say, keeping a notepad next to the bed. How do you stop yourself flitting from one process to another? Yes, I think it starts with what's important to you because it doesn't matter if you have the best system and you perfected it. If you're just doing things you don't care about, then the system is going to be flawed. I think really thinking, and I know that's that's really high level and that's where we get into the tough questions where we're really sitting there like, what what's important to me? What drives me? What makes me happy? What do I want to spend my, my years on this earth working on? Because um, those are the harder questions. Like it's easier to like to download the app or buy the notebook or sign, you know, read the book. That's tactical. But if you're not spending your time on the things that matter, then it doesn't matter how you're spending your time. You can be the most productive person, but if you're not being fulfilled or uh, you know complete by what you're spending your time on, it doesn't matter. So I think that's the tricky part. That's where you kind of get into the weeds. There is are asking yourself those tough questions. Yeah, that, that's really, really interesting. That You know, what do I want to spend my life doing? And you mentioned something there. Do stuff that matters. Do stuff that matters. And, and I, I, I struggle like hell with that, man. I really, really and, struggle. And, and understanding that what matters only can be defined by you, right? So I think when we say do stuff that matters, then there's the pressure of, well, geez, I got mm. to change the world. I got to save lives. I got to, you know, we make infographics at Lemonly. I'm not, uh, we're not, we're not solving world hunger or bringing peace yet to the world. But like, we also are taking complex uh, ideas and topics and trying to make them easier to understand and by telling them through visual stories. So somebody out there is, is benefiting from our topic, whether they now understand how to, how to get a mortgage for their home, or they now understand, um, you know, what went into making the September 11th Memorial Museum. And they're more, uh, that's more meaningful to them now understanding how it was built or whatever it might be. That's a, that's a client example of ours. But um, I think really uh, don't put too much pressure on what matters because it's only what matters to you. It is a really, really good point. Then. Like I say, I really suck at that. I suck at it. I'm like, ooh, a new social media tool. It really matters if I spend half a day setting this up. You know, that is completely yeah, yeah. pointless. And we've all been there, yeah. haven't we? We, we? You know, that shiny. Yeah, and, and, and that's part of the game too. And and you, I do, I do the same thing. You sign up for like, hey, Peach. Peach is the next big thing. And you try it for a day. And then if you sit back day two or three and you're like, I don't get it. And then it's okay. You can delete it from your phone. You don't have, you're not obligated now to, to, to come up with your peach strategy on social media and, and think about how it's going to affect your brand, your personal brand. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. So I think you just have to decide, you know, do you find fulfillment? I think there's, if you come up with a set of criteria, so I always like to say, am I learning something from this? Yes or no. Uh, am I having fun doing this? So if it's like a, pr- a collaboration, do I like the people I'm working with? Are they people I want to spend more time with? I'm a big believer in the whole, um, you're an average of the five people you spend the most time with. Um, so you can come up with your own set of criteria that, that determines what matters to you. So for me, am I learning? Am I having fun? Do I like the people I'm working with? Yeah. And speaking of the people that you're working with, how do you guys deal with because you mentioned focus is a really personal thing, not only in process, but also insofar as, you know, what matters to me, what matters to the business. How do you guys work as a team? How do you make sure that your techniques are compatible and that the things that matter yeah. are compatible? How's that play out? Yes, yeah, so that's an ever-evolving thing. Uh, you mentioned millennials. We have 
the team is 20 people at, at Lemonly, all millennials. I think our oldest person is 35. And uh, so we, I believe that the rap on millennials is, isn't quite fair. They do, they do want meaning and purpose and, and, and it's not just, I mean, you said they want to be fulfilled. And I think my job as CEO is just to show them the future of Lemonly, show them where we're headed and where we're going and then to explain to them how they help us get there. Because every single person from employee one to employee 20 is critical in that, in that journey. And we're all in the same boat, kind of paddling the same direction and showing them that it's not my company, it's our company. And, and you can shape how we get there and, and how fast we get there and what it looks like once we get there. Um, so that's kind of the, the true North star, but then how do we work day to day? I think realizing as a CEO or a manager, recognizing that everyone works differently is critical. So we have, um, 20 employees, five of them are remote, you know, so we tell people even remote or in Sioux Falls work when you need to work, kind of work, how you need to work. If you're a headphones, don't bother me type person. If you want to be at a table and have more chatter, um, then that's what you need to do. I think it's, you know, we're still a services company. So there's a few challenges when a client needs to talk. And if you need to be on that call, and you need to be on that call. But um, in between that, as long as you get your shit done, we don't really care how you do it. That's a really, really great attitude as well that just breeds a quality team, a quality and highly trusting team that actually will achieve a heck of a lot more than a team that's really highly micromanaged. You know, I think that approach is so, so, I don't want to say the word fresh because it's, you know, it's not fresh, but it's so liberal. And I think that's so important because there's there's nothing that breeds quality work more than just confidence in people wanting to achieve it. A good friend of mine, Dorothy Betts, who, who I'm desperate to get on the show, but I can never seem to get hold of her. She never returns my calls, John. Um, maybe she's I'll not, see if I can bug her for you. I think you should do. Give her a little tweet. Um, but she always says that people don't want to turn up at work and not perform. You know, they don't turn up to do that. They want to perform. They want to do well. And what you're creating there is that culture of people that are able to do well without the restraints. And and if you feel like you, if you're starting to doubt whether you're, you're you know, if your employee says, I'm going to go down to the coffee shop and work. And if you start to wonder, I wonder if they're actually getting work done, then it's it's already too late. Like you either, you either don't trust your employees. You If you have to wonder that, you probably didn't hire the right person. Um, now, that being said, I think, and people can drift. Uh, you can have the great employee that, you know, two years later starts to kind of drift off of, off of course. And then that's your job to really bring them back in and show them here, hey, here's how we need you and, and, and where, where you fit in and, and why that's important. But if you're, if you're wondering and doubting, then you're just wasting your time. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Completely agree. So let's switch gears a little bit. So we've talked a little bit about focus. We've talked about creating culture and talked about what works for you. So let's dig into some actionable tips. It's all about giving takeaways here at Excellence Expected. So let's dig into your first actionable tip that will help people find their own version of focus. So what is your first tip, sir? Yeah, let's see. So the first one I wrote down was uh, was try to find the 80-20 the in your business. And so this is what's known as uh, Pareto's Law. Pareto was an Italian economist who... Um, he noticed studying pea, pea plants that 20% of the pea plants actually yielded 80% of like the pea pods, you know, so that 80, 20 rule as many of us know it. Uh, and I'm a big believer that this, this shows up 
it's everywhere. It's so prominent, not just in business, but even in your personal life, you know, 20% of the, of your friends and family probably fulfill you 80% or in our case, 20% of our clients actually often yield 80% of our revenue. And sometimes it's even more drastic, 95, five, 90, 10. Um, so for instance, an example in ours is at Lemonly, we, we don't make websites. We don't make logos. We're a design shop, but we're pretty niche. We do about four things and we do those four things really well. And so, Applying that 80-20 kind of lens and that kind of formula to your work and to your life is really powerful. And a way I recommend doing this is um, you can just get a scratch sheet of paper, draw like a T, draw a line down the middle. On the left side, write down all the things that you do that you feel like are a waste of time. You know, so setting up a new social media site or um, reading you know, spending a half hour looking at Instagram. And then on the 20 side, on the right side of that column, uh, write down the 20, like the high value, the 20% of things that you do that really move the needle, that make your business better, that make your life more fulfilled. And you sit down there, you write that and you step back and you look at that list. And probably what you're going to see is a lot of shit on the left side and and a handful of really important things on the right side. And that's just that visual alone will give you an example of where you should be spending your time. Yeah, I love that. It's really important to document that, and I, you know, regardless of of what <laughs> sounds weird, this, but you've got to be really honest with yourself, regardless of what you think of a task or think of a, an option or think of a you know something that you need to get done or want to get done. You've got to be so so honest yeah. with yourself. And if your business is growing, that's great, and you're and you're trying to decide should I hire someone, like do that exercise and say, okay, these things over here, this eighty percent, they're important, but they're probably not as important for me to do. Maybe I need an assistant, maybe we need a project manager, maybe we need another designer. Um, and then figure out whatever you need to do. If it's changing your schedule, hiring people, changing your system to spend as much time as you can on that 20. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. And really solid advice. You know, that what I like about that tip is that you can always come back to that. I often find that my focus wanders. So I've got the process and I've got the um, I've got the actions in place that allow me to stay pretty focused. But I drift, you know, I just drift. You know, we talk about willpower being a rechargeable uh, fuel source, if you like. Well, my willpower drops towards the end of the week and I'm, I'm, I'm feeling oh, yeah. tired. And this is a really solid barometer, a really solid platform to just keep coming back to. So I think that's such a strong tip. Uh, let's shift into actionable tip number two, please, sir. This one looks very intriguing. Yeah, it's a good, seg- a good segue. Um, my tip is that you can spend 20 minutes of your day that'll actually, that'll save you two hours. So what I mean is if you spend 20 minutes planning your day, I believe that you can actually save two hours. So, you know, we all wish that we had more than 24 hours in a day, uh, unless you can play God or somehow change the, the, you know, the force of gravity. I don't think you can make that happen. So you have to maximize your 24 as, as best as you can. So when I mentioned kind of creating your own system, I did this about, gosh, it's almost three, almost four years ago now. Uh, I call it my eight for the day. And so every morning I sit down, I have a little notebook and I write down the eight things I want to get done that day. And so the reason eight is if we are, you know, most of us entrepreneurs are doing more, but in theory, working an eight hour day, I feel like I should be able to get eight things done, right? One thing per hour. If I'm doing, if I'm not doing that, then I'm probably not doing the right things. And so I actually make six professional tasks and I make two personal tasks. So it still includes things like, you know, cook dinner for my wife or go for a run or about eight weeks, nine weeks ago, I became a father. So maybe it's spending time with my daughter, going on a walk with her, whatever it might be. Um, I plan those out. I write them out. 
Monday through Friday, six per six professional, two personal on Saturday. I flipped that ratio. Try not to do, try to keep a little work-life balance. And on Sunday, just give myself a break, a, a rest from, from, uh, from list. Cause list can be a little overwhelming too. Um, so you can do this at night before you go to bed. You can do this in the morning before you jump in the shower. What I recommend is just doing it, writing it down. You can use an app. I'm, I'm pretty partial to a pen and paper because I really find a lot of value in physically writing it down, the connection it makes between kind of my pen and my hand and my brain. Um, but that's my, that's my little tip. And I have an article about it that I wrote for entrepreneur magazine that I can share, but, um, I found it really popular, really powerful today. I did it for, let's see what my notebook says here, the 870th time. And so actually I'm kind of a, a data nerd. So I track this and enter it into a spreadsheet. And what I've learned actually is that, um, so Mondays are my least productive day and Thursdays are my most productive day. So I don't get eight done every day. You know, I'm human. Sometimes a client calls, you got to put out a fire or something changes. You just, you just don't get it all done. Uh, but I've, what I've learned by tracking that data is I started to, uh, adjust my schedule. So on Mondays, I love to do things like this, do an interview, have some meetings. Cause you come back from the weekend, you're checking your inbox. You're a little bit, a little bit slower to the grind. Um, on Thursdays, I try to to block off significant chunks of time so I can really get, get into the nitty gritty of work. And so however you choose to do it, you don't have to do eight for the day, but if you want to I actually made a notebook, you can find it at eight for the day.com, but just make your own system to plan, spend at least 10 minutes, five minutes, even to just plan out your day. I love that. Eight for the day. I really like that. We'll get that in the show notes as well, guys. Don't worry too much about missing that one. It will be there in the show notes, so do not fret. I love that. And congratulations on the new arrival. How are the, uh, how's the sleep? Yes. Are you getting much of it? We're doing okay. She's, um, she's, she sleeps really well once she gets to sleep. So the challenge is getting her down. She likes, <laughs> she's kind of a, she's a night owl like her dad, I guess. That's fantastic. Yeah, that is such a, must be such a, a change of pace for you. How did you find when, uh, obviously, when she came along? Well, tell me about the eight for the day. Did that change at all? Uh, oh, yeah. I think certainly the things on the list have changed, uh, definitely. So I think I'm, I'm still figuring that out. I think I, I used to always feel a little guilty, you know, writing or blogging or talking about productivity, especially to someone who is a not just an entrepreneur and, and, and someone who wants to improve individually, but also a, a husband or a wife, a mother or a father, because I didn't have that piece yet. So now I have that piece to my puzzle and I'm still trying to figure it out, but so far so good. Uh, she's been a good, a, a really good baby and certainly a blessing in our life. So it definitely makes getting those things done quicker, coming home, uh, more valuable and provides a little bit more meaning to your work, which is really rewarding. Ah, that's fantastic. Well, congratulations again. That's amazing news. Really, really is. Thanks, Let's, Mark. No, it's a pleasure. Let's dig into the third and final actionable tip, sir. Let's see what the last on the list is. Yeah, this is probably one of those um, kind of gut check questions. So nothing that you can, uh, not really a tip to do, but it's to determine your business's unfair advantage. Uh, so if you're an entrepreneur or even just in life, what's your unfair advantage as in terms of your strengths, your characteristics, what you're good at, your passion. Um, I think everyone has one, your unfair advantage, at least one. And I think, you know, investors I hear from some of the smartest investors I know, that's the best question they'll ask entrepreneurs before they invest is what's your business's unfair advantage? You know, why are you going to win in the end? And, kind of like the 80, 20, tying them all back together. Once you know what that is, find out how to replicate that as much as possible. So for instance, I used to think, well, we're a design shop at Lemonly. We, we have the best designers. 
that can be tough for one. There's amazing designers everywhere and there's new ones being, uh, not being made, I guess, not in a factory, but coming out of school, new people are, people are always working. There's always great designers coming up. Um, so it's a little bit, and also it's a little bit more subjective, right? It's art. Someone might really love our style and someone may not. Um, so what we've tried to actually make as our unfair advantage at Lemonly is being from South Dakota, because that's unique and strange about us. And so we like to say we play our, our Midwest card pretty hard. So when you, uh, when you sign up to be a client of Lemonly, we send you uh, lemon bars in the mail with a, with a letter saying, you know, welcome to the, welcome to the team. We're excited to be a partner of yours. Uh, when you finish your infographic or your project, the designer who worked on it actually handwrites a thank you note and sends it to you saying, thanks for working with us. I loved working on this project. Um, so we're trying to do the things that don't scale and kind of spread our Midwest uh, hospitality. And so that they feel like working with Lemonly is they're not just great at what they do, but it's truly a pleasure and it really uh, is enjoyable. So for us, we feel like that's our unfair advantage, but I think every business has one. You just got to figure out what it is. I love the idea of doing the things that don't scale because that's where that's where you get real customer loyalty. That's what it's about. I think that's such a nice touch with the design sending the handwritten note out. And just a, a, a real kind of side note on that one. And it's kind mm-hmm. of back to the 80-20 rule, but it, sort of ties in with that cultural thing as well. When you do these things like these handwritten notes, these things that don't scale, does that have the impact that you would expect on your client retention, on the repeat work that you get? Is there a direct correlation between those things? I strongly believe it does. Um, when we, We've gotten a lot better at, I think this is the thing a lot of companies fit, uh, kind of falter in at the beginning, actually just following up and just saying, how did we do, how can we do better and getting feedback. I used to like at the very end of the year, you know, around Christmas, the holidays come along, you think, Oh shit, I should probably check in. And you, all of a sudden you email all of your clients and say, well, you fill out this survey and some of them might've worked with us back in April or March. And so now we've really improved that part of the lemon, the experience. So right afterward we say, how do we do, how can we do better? And the most common, uh, feedback we get is I just love the personal touch. I love that. I know I have one, one point of contact on my project. I loved working with Amy. I loved working with Becca. My project manager was great. And so do we have the, I haven't determined the ROI of our thank you cards yet, but I strongly believe that it works. Uh, and for me, it's just, it's the fact that it doesn't scale, but I believe in it. Right. So that we're not going to get a robot to write our thank you notes. We're not going to try to automate it. Um, we're going to do it because it takes time and because it takes time is why I think it's going to work. I love that. I love that. That's another big lesson to be learned there, guys. Do take that on board. Really important. John, that has been such a good interview. I've really, really enjoyed that. And it's nice to talk about productivity with someone that has been through some of the same challenges that I've had and, and also kind of come out of them differently. I think that's that's been such a, a fun chat and I've learned a lot from that myself. So thanks so much for doing that, John. I really, really well, appreciate it. Thanks for having it. me. Yeah. And I think the thing to remember is that uh, you never really master it, which if you're kind of into the topic of productivity and focus is a little bit disheartening, but that's kind of a blessing and a curse is you want to get better and you always want to level up and every year some new challenges, new goals and resolutions. Um, and you're never perfect which uh, can be frustrating, but also that's, that's the point because it's the journey, right? And not the destination. It's the, the process of improving that, that makes it worth it. Yeah, and that's why we're all entrepreneurs as well. It's, it's in our DNA really, isn't it? So yeah, I think that's a really great point as well. And John, we're going to stick a pin in that right there. So we're just coming up to a really, really good solid time. So just before we do wrap it, where's the best place for people to connect with you online? 
Yeah, uh, I'm, I, I like Twitter a lot, so I'm quick to respond uh, at John T. Meyer on Twitter, or you can use that same johntmeyer.com and then find find me, fill out my contact form or email me. And if you want to see some of our work, check out Lemonly, lemonly.com. You can look at the infographics. Check it out, guys. Please, please, please check it out. You'll be uh, you'll be very pleasantly surprised. And we'll get the link in as well from uh, from earlier on about the productivity tools and so on yeah, and so forth. So we'll get Thanks for me, Mark. Oh, it's a pleasure. It really is, honestly. And we'll uh, we'll maybe book a follow-up as well. I'm really curious to see as your daughter grows and as you grow as a parent, how that affects your productivity. So if you if you be up for it, as time progresses, I'd love to get you back on the show. Yeah, maybe around her one-year birthday, we'll see how it's going. <laughs> if you get the time, you might be party planning, sir. <laughs> That'd be great. Super stuff. Guys, check it out. Excellence-expected.com for everything that we've spoken about, John and I, today. And whilst you're over there, don't forget that you can get a whole myriad of small business content that is there to help you navigate your busy, busy entrepreneurial day. So check it out at excellence-expected.com. And until next time, don't forget, the more you expect from yourself, the more you will excel. Catch you later, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.